All right, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever it is, you are catching some rain waves coming to you from the banks of the broad and awe-inspiring St. Vrain River in almost always sunny Longmont, Colorado. I'm Ben Kolb, and across the table is Becky Peters, the only co-host who has actually taught an old dog some new tricks. Becky, what's good? I'm living the dream, Ben, interviewing educational giants and, in today's case, an educational pirate uh, from around the country and bringing their worldview, encouragement, and advice to the ears of our awesome listeners, all to help us be more informed, inspired, and connected educators. Yes, a dream indeed. And just like that dream you don't want to end, we think this episode you're not going to want to end either because we talked to educational consultant and New York Times bestselling author Dave Burgess. But before we do, hey Siri, what time is it? It's time to get out of our heads and into the classroom. I need help! Somebody, please help me. Help me! Give me something I can use. Let's get out of our heads into the classroom. That is right. It is out of our heads into the classroom, the part of the show where we give you actionable advice, stunning strategies, and tangible techniques that you can use right away. In just a few minutes, our interview with Dave Burgess is chocked full of more of these techniques. He calls them hooks because he's a pirate. And so you're going to hear a lot from him, but Becky and I wanted to go through what are some of our favorite engagement strategies. Becky, what you got? So a hook I've used and one that I've seen done in professional development sessions is called Snowball Fight. You might have done it before or been involved in it, uh, which can be used in a lot of ways. But as a hook, you can preview a lesson or a topic by asking students to write down one thing they know about that topic or one question they have about that topic if you want it to be more inquiry-oriented. And then what they do is they crumple up their piece of paper, they throw it across the room, hence the term Snowball Fight. These can get kind of out of control, which is fun. Uh, But then everybody picks up one piece of paper and goes and has a conversation with the person whose paper they picked up. That was a lot of piece. Um, I love it for starting conversations and for activating prior knowledge in the classroom. That is awesome. It sounds dangerous, but (laughs) learning is dangerous, right? Yeah, that's right. Learning is messy. That's what they say. It is. They do say that. All right. This next hook I'm totally stealing and giving credit to friend of the pod, Superintendent Superstar Diane Lauer. And we're going to call this one Dance Party. And actually, I'm doing it in a PD that I'm running tonight. And basically what I'm going to do tonight and then we can deconstruct it is... It is the end of the year. Teachers are maybe a little tired, and so they're going to get to this professional development, and I'm going to have a whole YouTube playlist of some of my favorite songs queued up to intentional lyrics. And so I'm going to start off with Chumba Wumba's Tub Thumper. Oh, well, no. You remember, I get knocked down. Don't get it stuck in my head. But it's I get gonna, up again. It's going to be there for a week now. I'm done. I, I know it will be. <laughs> but, so basically it's going to play about 10 seconds while the song is playing. Teachers are to get up, dance, move, get their brain flowing, get their their bodies activated. And then once the music stops, whoever they're standing next to, they have to talk about whatever that lyric was referencing. So after that, maybe I'll switch over to some Queen, Don't Stop Me Now, and they'll go and talk about the high point from their year. So basically, inside of YouTube, under the share button, you can start a song at a certain lyric or certain spot. And so as a teacher, you can queue up a whole playlist to the parts of the song you want students to talk about and reflect on. So I think how cool would it be if you were learning about mitosis and you had students dance around to It Takes Two or you played um, that song like You Can Tell Everybody That I'm the Man and then you had them talk about hubris from a story or something like that. So 
having them dance around to specific spots in a song and then reflect on them, I think is a cool strategy. Good one. Thanks to Diane for that. Another hook I'm stealing from Dan Meyer, who a couple people have already requested that we have on the show, so please know that we're working on it. But he has these incredible lessons called three-act math, which are like the definition to me of what hooks should look like in a classroom. I used to use them in my algebra classes for high school, but there are also elementary versions by a guy named Graham Fletcher. We'll link to both of those in show notes. But the gist of it is if you play you play a quick video that poses a problem and that's act one one of my elementary favorites is a girl who wants to play on a seesaw but she's all alone so she starts gathering bricks to see what will balance her weight out on the other side so you see a quick video of her getting ready to jump on the seesaw and she has the idea to use a brick that's act one then kids come up with questions about how they'll help her figure out this problem so in act two then you learn the essential information the weight of a brick the weight of the girl things like that things that your students have already brainstormed that they need to know to be able to solve it. Then act three is the resolution. There are so many great examples of that that really bring math into the real world that avoids sitcom math, as Dan Meyer calls it, which the idea is that you give all the information that you need and then you handily solve the problem in 30 minutes like a sitcom does. It never happens that way in real life. Uh, But this also promotes numeracy and number sense in a way like no other. Um, And I don't think there's a better way to hook some math concepts than those three-act math examples. Great. Yes. And hopefully we do get Dan Meyer on. Dan, I know you're listening. Come on, brainwaves. (laughs) My last one I've adapted from a couple other strategies, but let's call it alphabet aerobics. And I have used it as both a bell ringer and an exit ticket. And I have found that it works best if you do it as a competition. So I put students in groups of two or three or let them pick their group of two or three. And they can do this on a blank piece of paper or they could do this on a blank note on their iPad or on a blank Google Doc. And essentially what you're going to do is you are going to give them a subject and they're going to try to find something that relates to that subject with every letter of the alphabet. So let's say you gave them constitution, then they could list A, what relates to constitution or what has to do with that, what correlates with it. I might say articles for A and B, I could say it's battle of political philosophies and C, I could say is compromises, and D, I could say, is division of powers, and you just see how many different things that they can relate to whatever topic it is you give them, and if you have them race other groups, I found that really amps up the competitive juices in all of them. So I love that alphabet aerobics. That's a great idea for transfer too. I don't think we spend enough time on transfer. Like how does this skill or concept relate to another one? That's really good. So let's transition to today's featured interview. Today we are walking the plank with education consultant and publisher Dave Burgess. As you'll soon appreciate, he is a rock star at sharing stories and energizing different groups of people and students. He's a New York Times bestseller and he now travels the world training people to teach like pirates. He also runs Dave Burgess Publishing and Consulting, which has given voice to other notable pirates, including George Kuros, Alice Keeler, John Spencer, A.G. Giuliani, Jimmy Casas, and many, many more. Yes, and you better be very careful where you listen to this episode, because I know after hearing his passion energy, I wanted to run through a wall. (laughs) It just got me so hyped up. So in this episode, we talk about how good teaching relates to coaching. We discuss the importance of passion and how wearing a costume can't cover up for boring learning activities. So put on your eye patch, matey, and get ready to walk the plank with Pirates Day. Dave, why did you want to become a teacher? Hey, you know, so this, I kind of took a weird route into teaching in that I tried to do everything that I could that wasn't teaching before I went to teaching. Um, <laughs> And because it was always kind of something I, it was like I was what I was supposed to do. My father was a professor. My mom was a nursing instructor. So education was a big part of our household. 
And so I kind of rebelled against that for a while. And then actually after graduating from college, I, I took a coaching job at a high school, a basketball coaching job. And I always tell people coaching was my gateway drug into teaching because I absolutely loved it. I love working with the kids. And once I got onto the high school campus and was coaching the team, it's like, wow, this, what am I, what am I fighting? This is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what I'm meant to do. I went back to night school actually and got my teaching credential and never looked back. Uh, I see a lot of people who sometimes will think that coaches aren't great teachers, but I've, I've found that like coaches are some of the best teachers because they really know how to be flexible and change what they're doing with kids on the fly. They know how to look at data and film and, and make changes. So that's kind of interesting to hear that you came to teaching through coaching. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know what? So uh, you're absolutely right. So there's unbelievable amount of coaching in good teaching and an unbelievable amount of teaching in good coaching. And so they absolutely overlap with each other. And uh, I was a very formative period of my life when I was in the last couple of years of high school, early years of college. My first job was I worked at a the John Wooden basketball camps. So I actually worked with John Wooden for three consecutive summers wow. as, a, as a young person. And John, John Wooden is considered to be, if, if not the greatest coach of all time, certainly one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's in the discussion for sure. And um, he, is, he was an unbelievable teacher. And it, a lot of his concepts have kind of been infused my philosophy of teach like a pirate like his pyramid of success and his idea that we're, we're not just there teaching basketball right we're we're, we're life changers we're coaching people to become better human beings and um so a lot of a lot of john wooden's thoughts and philosophies kind of run through teach like a pirate well i hope teaching and coaching aren't that closely linked because I also coached basketball. However, I went 0-26 as a coach. No I, way. Yeah, I really did. So. <laughs> but we can skip that. Cut that, cut that out of this podcast. Um, all right, Dave, could you tell us one word that you'd use to describe your teaching philosophy? Well, so I'm going to cheat on this one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a pretty it's dirty a, pirate. It's a pretty easy answer on this one. And the, the answer is, of course, pirate. And because you know, a lot of people misunderstand this, I, I get a lot of questions about that. Like, what does this teach like a pirate thing mean? And I always tell people, listen, it's got nothing to do with the dictionary definition and everything to do with, with the spirit. Like, we don't want teachers to attack and rob ships at sea. It's about this, embracing the spirit of a pirate, right? And to me, the spirit of a pirate is someone who is unconventional, someone who's willing to reject the status quo, someone who's willing to sail into uncharted waters with no guarantee of success take a rebel, a maverick. And so it's about embracing that spirit of being a pirate, right? And then pirates also are known for having hooks. And this is all about how you could add hooks. And what I'm probably most famous for is adding hooks that draw kids almost magically or magnetically into what uh, is going on in the classroom. And then the other thing with the pirate is I'm abnormally obsessed with acronyms, as many educators are. Yeah. So the first thing I did when I, when I created the pirate idea is I, I turned a page sideways. I wrote P-I-R-A-T-E down the page and tried to make it an acronym. And I, I knew I wanted to talk about passion and enthusiasm. And there the P and the E were sitting at the beginning and end of the word, like the cornerstones of the whole thing, right? And I knew I wanted to build, talk about building rapport and relationships with kids as sort of being the heart of teaching. And there the R was sitting in the center. And so I never looked back. I've uh, been talking about Teach Like a Pirate and branding around Teach Like a Pirate uh, ever since then. And, and part of that goes back to this whole idea too, that 
I wanted to have a theme. Like I wanted to be able to model and demonstrate some of the things I was doing in my classroom, in my workshop. And uh, like, if you think about it, it's a lot of pressure actually. If you write up a workshop description that says you're, you're gonna teach teachers how to create uh, a classroom that's wildly and outrageously engaging and has kids knocking down the walls to get in, you better have a pretty dang good workshop, right? You better be a pretty, it better be a pretty good workshop. And so I call it putting handles on material to make it easier for kids to pick up. I always wanna try to put handles on my material to make it easier for them to pick up and take with them. And I wanted to put handles on the workshop. I wanted to be able to create a language around this, a way of talking about it that could spread. And so the definitely I would stick with pirate for that one word. So when you, I just have, I'm curious about your workshops, which one of those then out of your pirate words, which one do you find people have the hardest time picking up? And then how do you coach them to get better at that in your workshop? I mean, without giving away too many trade secrets, obviously. Yeah. Well, so I think it all starts with the passion and the, the reason, so the P of pirate. And the reason that I think this one is important is because there's, a, I call it the deep, dark secret in education. And, and the deep, dark secret in education is that um, we're, we're not always passionate about everything that we teach. And so that's, that's uncomfortable for pe some people to say, right? That they, that maybe they don't, maybe they're not into whatever their topic is or that part of their unit or that part of their curriculum. We're, we can't be into all of it, right? Like I, there, there are some people who are into all of their content. And I always, what I say in the workshops, I call those people freaks, right? Like, there are some people that are just freaks about their content, but that wasn't me. Because again, I came to teaching through coaching. So it wasn't like I was someone who was at home watching the History Channel every night and reading like historical fiction books to put myself to sleep at night. That wasn't who I was. I came to it through something else. And so I had to find ways to bring passion into my classroom on a daily basis. And so the P chapter is really important because it talks about there's three categories of passion. Content is one of those categories. And so uh, that's important, but there's two other categories of passion as well. And so even people who aren't maybe into the particular, you know, because as teachers, we don't always get to choose what we're teaching. We get assigned things by sometimes by our administrators. And so how do you find passion even when maybe you're not into the content? That's where that P chapter is really important and where those other two categories of passion come in, which are your professional passions and your personal passions. Huh. Yeah, so even if the content you're not super passionate about, I think helping kids develop into lifelong learners is something we can all end up being passionate about regardless of the content that we're, we're trying to teach. So when you talk about content, it reminds me when, when you talk about the three circles of teaching. Could you talk to our audience about those three circles and which one you think uh, gets neglected by teachers the most? Yeah, so I look at teaching as a triple Venn diagram. There are three interlocking circles. And one of these circles we label as content, right? And we have to have that circle or we're just entertainers or babysitters, right? And so, but the, the thing is, there's all sorts of ways you can learn your content. There's uh, professional development about your content. There's way you can learn your content online. There's books about your content. There's lots of ways you can learn your content. That's not a problem, right? And then there's a second circle that interlocks with that, which I label as techniques and methods. We have this whole toolbox of techniques and methods that we garner from our credential programs, from our colleagues, from uh, professional development in our district, from conferences that we attend. And man, there's thousands and thousands of books that have been written about the techniques and methods to teach. 
But then there's this third circle that I think no one's talking about. And I've got an evangelical zeal to go and talk about, right? That third circle is what I label presentation. So yes, you know your content. Yeah, you have all these techniques and methods, but how are you going to present it in such a way that it's engaging for kids? How are you going to present it in such a way that it draws them like that magically into what you're doing, right? How are you going to make it relevant for them? That's the third circle of presentation. That's the circle that we don't spend enough time talking about, right? And so that's the third circle of Teach Like a Pirate. And so Teach Like a Pirate is about addressing, uh, it's not about your content, right? That's something that you bring to the table already. And even in the book, I say, listen, if you don't know your content, just put the, just put the book down now and, and go learn your content because that's, you know, like I don't, I don't even want to talk to you until you know your content, right? But yeah. then once you know your content, now let's talk about how you're going to present it in a way that's going to be most effective. And because, you know, people will say, um, well, it's just about, I, I want to try to cover all these different, we're not trying to cover stuff, right? It doesn't matter what you say if nobody's listening. So it always comes back to that presentation and that engagement level that you can draw. So how do you get better at that? I know a lot of teachers that I think, you know, that would be their first question is, you know, how, how do I... It, you know, especially for those that aren't super outgoing or super outrageous, you know, how, how do they, how do they get better at those things? Yeah. So that's why, I mean, the center section of the book is all about that. And it's about, I mean, there's 30 different hooks that you can add into your content to draw kids in. And it's um, what, what I found is, see, when I first put together the workshop, one of the things that the person is my department chair and a friend of mine, he said, Hey, I'd like you to put together a professional workshop based on some of that crazy stuff you do down in your room that nobody understands. <laughs> and, um, but then he said something that was really important. He said, but the more I think about it, I'm not sure that you can, because I think that your success in the classroom is just kind of you. I think it's personality driven. Sure. I'm not sure it's something that you could teach to other people. And so I took that as a challenge. <laughs> and I signed up to do a full day workshop for our colleagues in my district. And I, woke away, I walked away from that meeting going like, oh my God, like what have I just done? I don't have a workshop. I don't have this written down. And so what I did is I got relentless about writing down everything I did in my classroom that I thought was successful. But then see, that wasn't good enough because that's what I do. I had to take it a step back further and try to come up with where did these ideas come from to begin with? And why does this one work and not this one? And it forced me to become much more intentional about my teaching and every time I traced back it always came back to the same thing it was the kind of question I was asking that maybe other people weren't asking and so questions are the key to creativity if you want to change a teacher's classroom you change their questions Absolutely. if you can change the questions that they ask you can change the whole class and so it's not that we don't have creative teachers it's that sometimes we don't have teachers that are asking themselves a creative brand of question and so a big part of that real practical part of teach like a pirate is showing teachers how to change the questions they ask in order to get a more uh, engaging and creative response. And so it really, it really does come back to the questions. Um, so I wanna give a shout out to my brother-in-law, Brian Ball in Michigan, a teacher. And he's the first person who told me about you and he read your book and he's like, you gotta read this. This is the coolest thing. And it completely changed how he teaches math. He uses your hooks in his classes a lot, a lot more oh, than fantastic. it was before. But I was wondering what book has changed your practice more than anything? And how have you applied that to your work? Uh, you know, so that's a tough question. I'm going to, um, maybe I'm going to cheat again. And oh. I'm going to tell you uh, some authors, perhaps. Instead. So I love Seth Godin, for example, I love Seth, Seth Godin books. I reference Seth Godin several times in his work in uh, Teach Like a Pirate, um, like Purple Cow, um, I think I referenced Lynchpin in there as well and several of his other books. And so uh, I read everything that he writes. 
Um, as soon as he puts something out, I get it and I read it right away. Hmm. Um, I've uh, Anthony Robbins has has influenced Teach Like a Pirate and his books like Awaken the Giant Within, Unlimited Power. Um, and, and for example, he's one of the ones that really um, clued me into the importance of questions. And one of his quotes is, "Questions are the laser of human consciousness," and um, which I think is is absolutely true. So I, I've enjoyed his books. I'm a huge reader of marketing and entrepreneurship books, success literature. Um, teach, teach Like a Pirate is a strange book. And I'm going to tell you why. There's not one single education book that's referenced in Teach Like a Pirate. Hmm. And, and not because I don't like education books. I publish them. Um, it's because that's not where it came from. Teach Like a Pirate was from the outside drawn in. And so it's a way of looking at the world and always saying, like, how can I use that? And so, like, for example, Teach Like a Pirate, like my background as a coach has influenced how I break down instruction, how I deliver feedback to students, and hopefully develop an inspirational, motivational component to my class, right? My background as a magician has influenced my sense of staging and showmanship and incorporation of props. My background as a marketer and entrepreneur has influenced how I create buzz and interest, like how a marketer creates buzz for a new product release. I create buzz for my lessons. Um, and my background is, so like if you were to see me speak, you would say like, why well, I've never seen someone speak faster than this and give, have so many words in such a short period of time in my entire life. Right? Have you met Becky? Let's, we'll go head to head one of these days. I would love it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> And Becky, good luck to you. <laughs> because, hey, I go like 100 miles an hour and I don't stop ever. And so, uh, but my background as an MC and in rap music and hip hop has influenced my professional development speaking style. So I'm, I'm a person who's used to speaking in a fast and flourishy way on a microphone in front of people. And so my background in that has influenced my professional development speaking style. So all of these things have come together to create the best me in the classroom. But Teach Like a Pirate isn't about teachers teaching like me. It's about them taking their strengths, their talents, their, their voice, what's unique about them, and adding some of these human nature elements of Teach Like a Pirate and weaving them together to create the best them. And so I always tell people, like, you don't have to be a somersault cartwheel teacher like me to teach like a pirate. Uh, you can use these human nature ideas from the book and from the workshops and then add your strengths and talents and create the best you. That's Excellent. I really like that answer. And I'm curious, I think some of the teachers that I've seen that have been best in the classroom are, you know, those that come from industry or those that come from other areas, like you mentioned, you know, and, and seeing how you draw inspiration from these people that are outside of education, I think is, is fascinating. Are you, what are you learning new right now that's really impacting your practice? Uh, you know, so one of the things that I'm increasing my uh, competence in and confidence in is technology. And so I was always a person who kind of poo-pooed technology. I was, uh, you know, I, I can remember one time, now I have some, I have some buddies who are just absolutely incredible um, tech ed, I, I mean, ed tech integrationists. Like they're, they're unbelievable, right? And they're always kind of giving me, they're always giving me a bad time that I wasn't incorporating enough technology. And I would always kind of try to kind of tweak them. Like I remember sending a tweet one time that said, uh, you know, Riddle, what do you get when you take a bad lesson and add technology? And then there was the answer was a bad lesson with technology. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, and I, I was doing that just to kind of like kind of tweak them a little bit, right? But now I've come to realize that I was uh, too slow on this. And so I'm trying to learn more and more about uh, tech integration and how to 
use technology in education. So that's something I'm growing in right now. Uh, Buckminster, our Buckminster Fuller, put it this way, don't fight forces, use them. And so again, it's always like about- the trim tab. Yeah, it, it's always about looking around the world and saying, how can I use that? What, what are kids into? A, a secret category of hook is rather than trying to spend so much time trying to get kids engaged in what we're talking about, we can spend more time thinking what we're talking about and tying it with what they're already engaged in. I want to know everything about my kids. I want to know what music they listen to. I want to know what the what's the current app that they're all obsessed with. I want to know what movie's coming out next weekend that they're excited to see. I want to know what television shows they watch. Because all these are things that I can use as ammunition, not only to tie my content to to engage them, but also to build a rapport and relationships with them for like there's two kinds of teachers one teacher says listen if i see one more kid with a fidget spinner i'm gonna go to prison <laughs> I, I, I know i have a family but i'm willing to go to prison over fidget spinners i'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill somebody but then another teacher says wow those things got popular pretty fast like how can i use that like uh are there um, why do some fidget spinners spin longer than others? Can we study that? What's the principle behind a fidget spinner? What's the, can we, can we make them? Can we use a 3D printer, code them in and print them out? Can we talk about uh, fit the, the spread of fidget spinners as an example of viral, um, how things work virally in today's society? Can we use it as a writing prompt about the greatest fidget spinner in the history of the world? And so it's always looking at the around the world and say, how can I use that? Whenever you see something go viral with your students or in society in general, it's not something that you fight against. It's something that you figure out a way that you could possibly use it. Well, I'm going to ask you to expand on that a little bit more because one of the things that I, I really wanted you to talk a little bit more about was how to make our classrooms more student-centered. A lot of the Teach Like a Pirate is a focus on the teacher, which is excellent. I mean, and that's a, a huge instrumental part of the classroom. But, you know, like you just talked about, how do we kind of shift that focus and build on students' passions more? Yeah, so that's there's several hooks in the book that actually focus on that, where it's like the student hobby hook, for example, where it's like, what are students into? What are they? And how can we incorporate that in our class? The And... Um, the what is in what is in this for me hook so it's like it's the always taking our content and trying to make it relevant for their lives and they they sometimes have a very important question and it's like when am i ever going to need to know this right and, and well if you don't have a good answer for that then that's a problem right that, that, that's a that's a very reasonable question for a student to ask we ask that about our learning all the time like how is this going to be relevant for me? When am I ever going to use this? This I've been, I've been just sent to this professional development workshop and there's not one single thing in here that I feel like I can use in my class. Well, that, that's something that we talk about all the time as adults. So why, why would we expect kids to be any different? And so it's always about trying to create that relevance for them. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why uh, we got into publishing the other books is because like some people, times people will say to me like, well, you don't have a lot on this particular thing in your book. I say, well, because it's my story. This is my, yeah, right. I, right. I wrote my manifest, this was my manifesto about education. And I wanted to uh, talk about my story. I wanted to drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> and, and that's kind of feel, what I feel like I did. But it's just my story. And so we wanted to try to find educators with complimentary messages that would fill in the gaps. Like, for example, the next pirate book we published was Learn Like a Pirate by Paul Solars. And the entire book is about how to create a student-led, student-centered classroom. Nice. So he, he even redid the acronym with my permission. Like, my P is passion. His is peer collaboration. And so it's all student-centered words. And so we had, you know, you know Paul added the student-centered side. We had Michael Matera 
add a book on gamification. We had Quinn Rollins add a book that expands on like uh, how to use things like games and toys and action figures, Legos, comic books, um, things like that to teach. And then a lot of these other books, like for example, we have books on Genius Hour and books on innovation and education and design thinking and you know more project-based learning approaches, flexible seating, like all. So we're trying to fill in all these different gaps and understanding that nobody has all the answers. And so we just need to bring other voices to the table sometimes. That's awesome. That's why we're doing this podcast. I love it. Yeah. One of the most influential people in the teacher I am today once told me that you teach what you know, but more importantly, you teach who you are. And his point there was that you can't be an inauthentic version of yourself because kids see right through it. So if you're not a rapper and you get up and you try to eat the beat up, um, <laughs> it's not going to go well. So I think that's super important that you do whatever resonates with you and works for you. What would you say is the most important trait for a teacher to have in this day? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with something that Maya Angelou said. And so Maya Angelou is one of my favorite human beings who ever lived. And one of my bucket list items was to be able to see Maya Angelou speak before she passed, which I was able to accomplish in 2013. Wow. And it, was, it was this unbelievable experience where I saw her uh, in front of about 10 to 12,000 people. Uh, she never moved one time. She was brought on stage in a wheelchair. And as she was introduced and as she like came onto the stage, I had this strange watery sensation in my eyes that I'm not used to. Um, Someone was cutting and, onions. Yeah, yeah, it was like, like what is this? Avoid the pirate ship. Like I am a pirate, but yet there are these strange watery things coming out of my eyes. Yeah. And the, um, it, was, it was, to be honest with you, it was probably about the only time in my life where um, it was almost overwhelming just to be in this in the same space as another human being, just because of the power of her presence and authenticity. And, and then she wove stories together. Storytelling is one of the most powerful things in the entire world. And she, she wove stories together for like 45 minutes, ending as they all came together in the end to show the impact of a teacher on a human being's life. And there was not a dry eye in the place. People were crying all around me. And, um, and what I often tell people is, so here's a person who transfixed an audience for almost an hour which is the power of her presence. So again, you know, it's, it's not about running through the aisles like I do. It's not about, you know, the cartwheels of somersaults. It's not about the ranting and raving and the fast talking that I do. It's the power of your presence, right? And one of her, one of my favorite things that she ever said was that the most important, um, the most important thing in the world, it was courage. That was the trait that was most important because without courage, you can't practice the others. And so um, I think that courage is one of the most important traits an educator to have. have courage to teach in the way that you think is most powerful for your uh, students, even, the, even in the possible, if not likely, face of criticism from outsiders or peers. And so uh, I'm going to choose courage. And, I'm gonna, and that's come, come straight from Maya Angelou. That's beautiful. That's awesome, yeah. Because you're right, it kind of, it's a precursor to all the, all the rest of it. We know teachers love tangible things they can walk away with. I remember the first conference when they taught me about think pair share and I felt like I stole something I was like this is awesome I'm gonna use this right away so can you give us one tangible hook that teachers could use even in their class tomorrow to engage students more absolutely I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose the teaser hook it's one of my favorites um, and here's the idea 
is that uh, like if I'm if I'm cooking some steaks for you guys, you guys came over to my house tonight. Uh, listen, I I don't put my steak down on a cold grill. I preheat my grill. Got okay? it. Because yeah. like if you if you drop your steak on a cold grill, nothing happens. But if you drop your steak on a preheated grill, what happens? Oh, it's sizzle. gonna sizzle. It, it's sizzle. It's it sizzle. Well, I want my content to sizzle when I drop it. So I always preheat the grill, build up mystery, curiosity, buzz, anticipation before the lesson even begins. What are you saying before the day, the days before the lesson to build up anticipation, mystery, curiosity, and buzz? What do you have in your room when they walk in or even outside the room that builds up the anticipation? What do you have written on your board that's gonna create a buzz, a conversation? Uh, before the before the bell rings and what what kind of like uh we use things like the mystery bag and box and things like this you know it's like it's what do you have around the room that draws them in before you even start and preheats the grill puts them on the edge of their seat to know something that you want or to see something that you wanted to show them all along anyway so i always encourage teachers to preheat the grill Preheat the grill. Um, it reminds me kind of uh, of yodeling. Like you can't just start yodeling. You got to warm up. So kind of like that. Uh, all right, maybe. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna trust you on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the preheating the grill. I am really curious. In your TED talk at the end, when you pass around that calculator and have people Dude, enter numbers. Insane. You're like how, I really and I know you're not supposed to ask a magician to reveal his tricks, but I really want to know how you did that. Yeah, so you know what I'll tell you guys. So the way this works is that uh, when uh, when you start that routine, you uh, of course I can't tell you guys. Come oh, on. I was so <laughs> excited! <laughs> I thought maybe since you were a pirate and a magician, you wouldn't have to live by the magician's code. But yeah, isn't that crazy? They enter. Yeah, you're totally. You press, you press nothing. They enter in every single number, and then it's all predicted. And I tried yeah. it. Like, oh, it must just randomly happen because of math. But no, that was insane. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, if I told you how that's done you'd be just as fascinated by the method as you are by the presentation. Be like, oh my God, who came up with that? That's incredible. Which is like the best part. That's yeah. why math is amazing. We'll definitely yeah. link it in our show notes for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. needs to go and watch that. Uh, you got time for just a couple more? Yeah, shoot. Okay, Let's go. Awesome. One of the things that I love that you talked about was how pirates aren't afraid to fail. So can yeah. you tell me a story about a failure you had in the classroom and what you learned from it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you, I, there's so many failures I could choose from, it's hard to, it's hard to decide. And, and that's one of the, uh, that's an important thing to note, though, is that um, a lot of teachers feel like, especially new teachers, by the way, they think that um, everything's going to go well, and that they're, they beat themselves up when it doesn't. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll run into a teacher, and they'll say to me, uh, I think I'm. I think I need to quit teaching. I'm going to leave the profession. This is like just not working out for me. And I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa! Explain to me what happened. And they'll explain to me what happened. What happened is maybe they had this lesson where 29 kids were wildly engaged and thought it was amazing, but one kid popped off in the corner, or one, you know, uh, uh, one or two kids were, were were disengaged or did something or or a behavior problem. And they'll walk away from that experience feeling like a failure. And so, like, if you set up your system for success for how like how, this is how i'm going to feel successful for it to be that you're going to have 100 engagement and 100 uh, successful lessons on 100 of the days then you have just set up a system for success that you're going to leads to a lifetime of disappointment yeah. and uh, this is not about creating some nirvana level of perfection this is about getting better and it's about uh, increasing engagement and empowerment, not ever 
reaching some level of perfection. So life is not 100% or fail. And a lot of people have problems understanding that. And so all, and all progress is found outside of your comfort zone. And what, because people don't like to fail, they don't like to push the edges and they don't like to be uncomfortable and, and take a risk. But since all progress is found outside of your comfort zone, if you're never uncomfortable, then you're not growing. And so it's, it's the understanding that it's okay to fail and learning and teaching, all, it, it's messy. We, we, we have this conversation with our kids all the time. We talk to them things about things like the growth mindset, for example, and, uh, and overcoming that, that perfectionism. Like perfectionism will stifle you. Perfectionism will we'll crush your creativity. And so, and it leads to people not put things out into the world because they're afraid it's not perfect yet. And, uh, and that'll, that'll stifle your creative output. Same with the kids. Kid comes into class and says, I'm not good at math. And we say, whoa, 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 you're not good at math yet, right? Or like imagine a kid came in and said, I don't wanna do my uh, oral presentation because I'm not good at talking in front of people. Would we say to that kid, Oh yeah, you know that's kind of true. So um, just go sit quietly in your yeah, you do sit, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sit quietly in your desk for the rest of the year. That's fine. No, that's not what we say. What we do is we try to build up their skill and confidence, and their ability to be successful in those situations, right? And um, but as teachers, we have to have that same folk, that same sort of shine that same light on ourselves that maybe we're not good right now at the incorporation of technology. Maybe we're not good at this particular area, but it's about having that mindset that I'm gonna try something new, I'm gonna take a risk, and if it doesn't work out, it's totally fine. Cause you know what? They come back the next day and you just make it right. And so like if my heart surgeon or brain surgeon experiment with my surgery, I'm actually a little bit upset about that. I would just kind of prefer that they stick with their programs. But when a teacher tries something new, it doesn't work out, they come back the next day and you make it right and you learn to see that failure as feedback. Everything that happens in the classroom is feedback. They're providing you the real-time gift of feedback to help you improve and hone your craft. And so we use that feedback to get better. And so you, that was a long way to get into this example, right? I, I had a lesson. I want to do this lesson on the impact and the power of radio in the 30s. So this incredible thing happened in the 30s, the War of the Worlds. This Orson Welles broadcast, which fooled people into thinking that the earth was being invaded. I remember reading about that. And, and people did absolutely incredible things when they, read, when they heard this podcast. Like it, it, actually, it actually fooled people. And um, I thought, what more engaging thing could there be to then talk about this incredible scam on this radio show that fooled people. And it's about an, an alien invasion of all things. Like what could be more engaging to a kid than this, right? And, and so I wanted to uh, um, talk about the broadcast and play the broadcast for them and take all the lights down. And like, as we're like, we were listening to it. Well, I had all sorts of behavior issues and problems. Um, some kids did some things in the dark that they shouldn't have done. And I had to turn the lights on partway through a couple of the periods because of stuff that was happening in class. And I walked away so frustrated and upset with the kids and then the next year, I'm like, oh, I got this. I got to totally come in as an alien. Like if I, if I, if I dress up like an alien, that's going to ramp the engagement level up a thousand percent, right? And I'm going to redo my room and make it like this alien invasion scenario. And I'm going to add props around the room and all these different things. I'm going to build it up ahead. Of, I'm going to preheat the grill and go. talk about this stuff. Up before yodeling. Yeah. And, and like now it's going to be amazing, right? Well, nothing but behavior problems again 
and issues and frustrations and me getting angry at students and like it was horrible right mm -hmm. and i walked away realizing something that broadcast is boring as heck <laughs> nice for, like, for today's kids yeah right you no know it's not real like that bro that broadcast it, it was like like watching paint dry right yeah. and so the whole basis the center of my lesson was was wrong and boring and i thought that i was going to just by adding these little elements around the outside of it that i was going to fix it and so that's one of the dangers, uh, you know, I love teach like a pirate. It's, it's not about adding a costume to make something engage. It's, it's how everything weaves together to create an engagement. And so that was a, a massive failure I had in my class. And by the way, let me tell you how I fixed it. I talked to them about how radio shows used to be made, how everyone, they had to make their own, their own sound effects and all these things in studio and how the actors would be together, actually literally banging things together and making footstep sounds and, you know, screaming and making, and take a knife like and jab it jab it into fruit to make stabbing noise like we you know whatever it might yeah. be right so then i had kids design their own radio broadcasts in groups and this is an idea i got from reuben hoffman who's a teacher at my school uh, they design their own uh radio broadcasts and record them using their own sound effects and all this kind of things like this and, and so then we got to learn about the impact of the radio but then all of a sudden now we had something where kids were working collaboratively they're being creative they were designing their own podcasts they were uh, uh using technology to record them and they're doing all these different things and so by making a more student-centered more student-empowered lesson and adding that creative touch to it all of a sudden, I took something where I tried to be, you know, having me be more on show, put them in charge of it, and it then it became more powerful. That's so much more fun for you, too. I would love to see those videos or listen yeah. to those radio shows. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I totally feel you because I, I, I've had so many lessons like that that failed, and then you take it so personally when you leave work that day. I mean, I used to feel like students were personally attacking me, and that is so not what it's about. It's just about what are the changes you need to make so that they feel more invested. I think that's 100% correct. Yep. You don't personalize it. You don't beat yourself up about it. You don't beat kids up about it. Right. It's all feedback. Everything that happens in the classroom is feedback. And so like pirates trim their sails for the wind. Pirates don't curse the wind. They don't yell at the wind. They don't go, man, ah, oh, the wind channel. You know, they have a, a temper tantrum at the wind. They, ch they change their sails. They catch the wind and they get to where they need to go. And, and so that's what we need to do with that feedback that we get in our classroom. We just trim the sails, catch it and, and move forward. So more of a personal question then, how do you keep your energy so high, especially on like days that kind of deflate you like that? Have you been in the basement uh, drinking coffee and doing push-ups waiting for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, probably not the answer that you're looking for, but when it, when sometimes when people ask me that, they're like, hey, like, how do you have so much energy? And usually what I start with, I say like, well, you know what, what I do is my alarm goes off at 5.30, I drop out of bed, I do 50 push-ups, I do 100 sit-ups, and then I go, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just see this look come across their face. Oh, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, here's the thing. There's lots of different ways to control your state. And I, I talk about this in the enthusiasm chapter. And, and this is actually a concept that I got from Anthony Robbins as well. There's two ways to control your state. One is by what you focus on and the other is your physiology. And so what you focus on literally, literally creates your reality. And so by focusing on more empowering things, uh, you can create your reality. And so like that, those are those category two professional passions of teaching, for example. 
And I'm not always focused on my content. I'm focused on what kind of impact I'm going to have on kids' lives on that day. I can always get fired up about that, right? And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is your physiology. It's a short circuit to controlling your state is by changing your physiology. And so we know this, like if you wanted to read something that was super important, would it be the best opportunity? Would, would, would she like lie down with a pillow under your head and kind of prop the book open next to you by the side of your head? No, you just put your physiology in a sleep position and expect it to stay awake and concentrate. And so that's what, like when I'm working with people, they're speaking, for example. I said, look, if you want to be a more dynamic speaker, then move in a more dynamic way. Speak in a more enthusiastic fashion. And this strange thing happens is that when you move more dynamically and when you speak more enthusiastically, you actually become more dynamic and more enthusiastic. It's this loop that happens. And so by changing your physiology, uh, you can change your whole state. And so I have rituals, like how I start my class and different things like this. What do I focus on? How do I move myself physically even? How, uh, all those things are important. Like uh, as, I'm tr as I'm going around uh, before giving a workshop, some people like to sit in the back and like hibernate in some back room and kind of hide from the audience or something and get into the right mental state. I can't stand that, right? I like to walk around and greet people and talk to them, take pictures, sign books, and it helps them feel at ease with me and I feel at ease with my audience. And I like to be a part of the scene. And like, you know, sometimes they'll say like, well, will you stay behind the curtains until we introduce you? Like, no, I'm not gonna stay behind the curtain. I'm gonna be out talking to people the whole time while they're coming in, right? And then I'm, well, I'm looking around, I'm over there, I'm getting ready to be introduced. I'm thinking to myself, listen, I'm gonna light my, I'm gonna light myself on fire. I'm gonna burn, I'm gonna light this whole place on fire and I'm gonna burn it down around them. That's my goal. I'm sitting over the side going, like, I'm, I'm going to burn this place down around these people. Like, they have no idea what they're about to see right now. And they're going to, and that's, like, I'm getting myself in the mindset and the frame of mind to come out there and try to destroy them, right? And so um, these are things that I use in, in teaching as well. That's awesome. That's, yeah. I'm going to like run around I'm the like building right now. I know. I need to go do some calisthenics. So, uh, yeah, listen, mediocrity doesn't motivate. Nobody, lukewarm sucks. Like, you don't want to, who wants something that's lukewarm? Who wants something that's mediocre? Who gets up in the morning saying, like, man, I can't wait to get in my classroom and be lukewarm today? I'm like halfway excited about my lessons today. That's no. Right. That's, that's kind of it. Don't expect anyone to be enthusiastic and passionate about something that you're not. And so, like, some, like a teacher will come to me and say, like, oh, I, I don't understand what's happening. Kids just don't seem to be excited to be in my room. And I'm like, yeah, I can't understand why. You're just, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, you're just a fireball of energy. Just <laughs> <laughs> no. and, and so my goal is different, right? Like when I step, I, I, I step in front of kids, like I have a goal. I'm going to turn on the propane. I'm yeah. going like, to douse myself with the gasoline of enthusiasm and spark <laughs> it with the flames of inspiration. I'm going to light up when I get in front of kids, right? And so that's... Uh, you are amazing, man. <laughs> You're one in a million, that's for sure. And I, they, when you talk like that, it kind of makes me think of that quote on your website. If, if they didn't have to be in your room, would you be teaching to an empty room? Yep. And like, I always find it, I don't know, I, I get kind of nervous about asking teachers that because it, it almost feels kind of rude. But like, I think that's true. If, if they didn't have to be here, who would be in your room right now? And I, I would be in your room, Dave, I got to tell you that. Oh, thank you. Well, that's the, that's the, the essential question of Teach Like a Pirate. They didn't have to be there. Would you be teaching to an M2? That's the essential question of the entire book. And like, so um, what is it about you? Is there something about you? 
and the way you make kids feel and the kind of experiences you create for them in your room that they will be drawn and they would be there anyway, right? And so, and those are the teachers that we want to be. Dave, thank you so much. Where can our listeners go to learn more from you? Super easy. So uh, I live on Twitter. I'm at Burgess Dave. So my name just flipped around to Burgess Dave. Get connected. Don't let the, for, for your listeners, don't let this be a one-time thing. Get connected, become a connected educator. And so I'm at Burgess Dave on Twitter. The hashtag people often use is T-L-A-P for teach like a pirate. And then also you can find me at DaveBurgess.com or DaveBurgessConsulting.com. Well, we really can't thank you enough, man. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, for real. That's oh, good. yeah. Hey, I'm super excited that you guys are getting this podcast up and going, and uh, I can't wait to listen in to future episodes. <sighs> well, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm like si- simultaneously exhausted, but also exhilarated by that discussion. I do not know how that guy finds his energy, but whatever well he's drinking from, I want to sip. I will also take a sip of that. So try to stay awake long enough What to tell us your biggest takeaway from that interview. Honestly, I like I said before the interview, I was pretty intrigued by the fact that he doesn't cite any educational books in Teach Like a Pirate. He made a point of that. And I think it's interesting that he draws inspiration from outside the realm of education uh, and in things like business and marketing. A lot of times when I feel stuck in my own head, when I wrestle with educational issues, I find inspiration from other disciplines. Like, I don't know if you've heard that quote uh, that Joe Biden said, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. And I, I, I was thinking about like, how does that apply to education? Like, show me your grade book and I'll tell you what you value, which might be a pretty cogent argument um but things like that i really enjoy extrapolating from other disciplines and considering them in the realm of education how about you what's your big takeaway yeah a follow-up with that just read a book called the medici effect which really talks about how everything does connect and so i think it's amazing that he finds inspiration outside of the education world and i hope all of our listeners do as well but wrapping up shop my biggest takeaway from the interview was that even dave who is the master showman who i would listen to read through the yellow pages admits that you cannot cover up for boring learning activities with a costume and i just really appreciated hearing that and really appreciated all the student-centered things his book really does talk about making learning engaging for all students yeah that's awesome Well, as always, listeners, we hope you left this episode feeling more informed, inspired, and connected. And we hope you keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag Brainwaves. Make sure you follow us at Brainwaves. And as always, you can find show notes and more resources at brainwaves.com. Thanks for listening.